This week on Our Thing. Shocked by the Padre's contempt for both of us, my husband and I fled the Basilica, chills running down our spine. Down Under author Diana Charlton leads us through the streets of Venice, where a dark and sinister force awaits. She has problems with an ex-husband coming after her, trying to kill her. And author Tina Louise Atkins navigates a treacherous path of twists and turns in her epic trilogy. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is Our Thing, with everyone's favorite ex Gangster. Gunner, 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 Gunner. What's up? Welcome back to our thing at 1010 The King. I'm your host, Gunner Lindblom, joined by my co host, Bill Crooks from Partners in Crime Podcast. So, we've got a great show today, a couple of great guest authors. There's a little bit of a moral lesson in these authors. And then we have a great street beats where the cartels are at it again, which is crazy and violent, but it's just what we do report on this stuff. It reminded me of a, I guess, not funny story, but something that I did kind of extorted some dudes. Is Years ago, I took this kid that I met in jail to a nightclub. And when I walked in, a bunch of my cousins were there. And these are like third cousins, so they're not like real close to me, where they're about to get in a fight. And I walked in there, and they're like, hell, you know, these guys are messing with us, and da, da, da. And the reason they were about to get into this fight was because their boy, Chris, I didn't even like the dude, had been hitting on this guy's girlfriend. And so these they were Italian kids. There's about 10 of them, big ones, a bunch of big muscle-bound Jersey Shore guys. And it's just me, this kid Dan, and like three, three of my cousins. And so I felt like I had to stick up for them because they were cousins. So I said, where are these guys? They point them out. I go walking over to these guys. And I said, yo, you guys got a problem with my cousins. Now, I had a feeling that I knew who I was. I'd seen them around in the clubs. They'd see me knock guys out in there. And they'd see me fighting and wilding out. So one of them, the biggest one, he says, what's up, Al, man? That's your cousin? I said, yeah, he's my cousin. You going to have a problem with them? He's like, man, the ones who's hitting on my boy's girl and da-da-da. calling her, he said. I said, how did he get her number? Well, she gave it to him. So how are you going to blame him? You know what I'm saying? She gave him the number. Right. I, I said, it sounds to me like she's at fault. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I go, listen, we're not going to have a problem, are we? And they're like, no, I don't got a problem. So I said, do me a favor and send those guys a drink. Buy them a drink. Let them know everything's cool so we don't have the stress and the uh, the anxiety or whatever it is, you know, the vibe in there. Like, we're going to fight. They said, yeah, cool. Like, send them some drinks. Everybody comes over and starts drinking and hanging out. So while I'm hanging out with these dudes, there are these two brothers, these little short guys, right? And I'm getting to talking to them. And they start telling me that they own a junkyard. And they tell me where it is. And I know where it is. And I'm like, oh, okay, I know that place. So I get cool with them. They end up inviting me to a party. At some point, the wheels in my mind start getting in motion. I'm going to kind of see if I can shake them down, extort them, right? So I go into their work, into their place, and I say, hey, listen, I had a cousin. His name is Billy. He, he was a car thief. He had a bunch of crew guys that would steal cars. And they'd sell you a car for 500 bucks. It didn't really matter what kind of car. They'd just 500 bucks. You'd give them 500 bucks. So I go in there to these guys who own this junkyard. And I say, listen, are you interested in buying some stolen cars? And I'm like, oh, no, we don't do that. Da, da, da. I said, why not? You could take a car. I'll sell you a car for 1000 bucks or whatever it was. I think it was 1000 bucks. So I'd make 500 I said, and you could part it out for like $10,000, $20,000, man. You can make a freaking fortune, you know? And they're like, no, no. So I came back a second time. I said, just, you know. Take a couple cards off my hand. So I ended up bringing them a couple cards. And of course, they parted them out. I said, get rid of everything with a VIN number. You know, they take it to a scrapyard and melt everything down. Everything that's worth money, they parted out. So I ended up starting to sell them cars. I got these guys, Billy and these dudes, stealing the cars for them, right? After about a month, maybe two, you know, it was a little while, I say to the guys, listen, man, you guys got to start paying me a thousand bucks a week. And they're like, well, 
we're, we're buying the cars for a thousand. I said, no, you got to pay me a thousand bucks a week. I said, you got a freaking legal chop shop going on here now. You know what I'm saying? I'm not making nothing off this barely I'm making 500 bucks on a car. It ain't worth, you know what I'm saying? So I, I try to play it like I was doing them a favor. I said, I'm not going to get in any trouble. If we get any word about an investigation, anything, we'll clean it up. We'll help you, you know, whatever. Right. But you've been taking advantage of me long enough. That's your right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you guys have been taking advantage of me long enough. It's not, you're going to have to pay. So they didn't want any beef because they knew i was crazy they kind of saw me as this freaking lunatic they knew me from the club and stuff and all those guys had seen me like i said knock guys out in the club and beat the crap out of guys they didn't want no problem so this goes on they they give me a thousand bucks a week it goes on at the time i was like on my knuckles i was not doing good this towards the end of my run before prison and so i decided i need more money and so i ended up going in there and say i need another thousand a week now, you can tell they were kind of wanting to say, what the hell, man, You're shaking me down. Not like I was going to call the cops on them or nothing, but, you know, I still had knowledge of what they were doing. But I'm saying I'm bringing you like 10 cars a week that are making you like $100,000 in profit after you break them down. These are nice cars, you know, Cadillacs, stuff like that. They wouldn't do any exotic cars. They wouldn't do any like German cars, nothing like that. They could be cars that were worth $5,000 or $15,000, $20,000. And so anyways... I ended up shaking these guys down for about, about a year. And then when I got locked up, I have a feeling that they were happy as hell. Oh, yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> they were happy as hell, man. Like, this guy's finally off our back. I don't know if anyone told them or whatever. I ended up getting locked up and they never came around. They're probably like, man, finally, this guy's off our back. Now let's find a car thief that's a little more manageable. Yeah, exactly. Someone who's not such a lunatic. But it was a long-term play when I first was having drinks with them in the bar that night in the club. And now they start telling me what they do. And I'm like, man, this could be like a long-term play. So that's what I did. I just kind of put my hooks into them and started extorting them. And it went on for about a year, but not proud of any of that. That's for sure. I'm just saying it just reminded me when you were talking about the street beats that we got coming up, that was the type of mindset that I was thinking. You know, now I wasn't like a super violent lunatic like these cartel guys, man, that are mass murdering or whatever. But if I saw an angle, I'd take it. And I extorted a lot of drug dealers, too. You know, one of the things about storing drug dealers is I, I didn't go after anyone who was like mob tied or cartel tied, just random Joe Blows who sold a little coke or sold some weed. I would play it like, hey, listen, bro, you got to pay up. Now. You know, this is the mafia. You got to pay up the mafia. I'd play that angle. You know what I'm saying? I didn't care. I was just playing the angle. But I'm like, if you're selling 10, 20 pounds of weed, you got to pay me a thousand bucks or a pound of weed just to exist. Otherwise, we're going to have a big problem. And I, Like I said, I always made it sound like I was doing them a favor because I got cops on the payroll and I got this and I got that. It was funny. But, you know, extortion doesn't always work out for the extortionist, which brings us to... Oh, wise guy, eh? Street Beats. Speaking of extortion, according to a senior analyst for the International Crisis Group, which is an organization that promotes conflict avoidance, criminal gangs in Mexico have been morphing away from drug trafficking towards a more local form of revenue generation. More specifically, they've been shaking down local communities. Extortion rates reached record levels last year, with an average of almost eight extortion cases reported per 100,000 inhabitants according to data from the state prosecutor's offices and the National Institute of Statistics and Geography. Previous administrations in Mexico had seen five cases per 100,000 inhabitants as their worst case scenarios in the past. But since he took office in 2018, 
President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has vowed that he would get around to addressing this problem, but it would appear that he's been unable to get around to it thus far. Many feel their president has adopted a hugs, not bullets security strategy that isn't proving effective. What's a village to do? Well, the citizens of a small farming community called Texcapilla had an idea. How about we fight back? Of course, standing up to a cartel is no game, but if it were a game, the score of this one would be 10 to 4. That is, 10 cartel members were killed compared to four locals. According to accounts, when the cartel members came to wreak havoc, they were greeted by citizens armed with hunting rifles. Things escalated, shots were fired, and by the end of the conflict, the citizens were seen chasing down the gangsters with machetes. The eruption of violence was undoubtedly the result of frustrations that have been building up as the locals are preyed upon mercilessly by criminal groups, according to experts. The whole story seemed a bit cinematic to me, and oddly familiar, when I was finally able to put my finger on it. This was the premise for The Three Amigos. Did you see that film? <laughs> yes, I did. If you haven't, it's a classic film that ended with the small-town peasants standing up to the monstrous oppressor named El Guapo. Who could forget Steve Martin playing the heroic gunman, Lucky Day, and his inspirational words? I quote, In a way, all of us has an El Guapo to face. For some, shyness might be their El Guapo. For others, a lack of education might be their El Guapo. For us, El Guapo is a big, dangerous man who wants to kill us. But as sure as my name is Lucky Day, the people of Santa Poco can conquer their own personal El Guapo, who also happens to be the actual El Guapo. That is movie gold, and that is your street beats. That's crazy. Thinking about what they did, they, those people, man, I mean, think about how ballsy you'd have to be. I mean, chopping somebody up with a machete is it's not for the faint of heart. But knowing that you're attacking cartel dudes who have like armies and millions of dollars backing them, I mean, you have to be one brave, ballsy, and really, frankly, scared. You know, you must be terrified. Or you've been bled to the point that you've had enough. Yeah, you've had enough. Now, you and I both know the bad side of this is they're coming back. They're coming back. And you're not going to be able to fend them off with hunting rifles no, and machetes. Cartel can't allow this no. to stand, and it's not going to no. end well. And it'll be a street beats probably next week or the week after. But it's a story you don't hear very often. Yeah, but it's a story that happens very often in countries like Mexico and Latin America. But, you know, geez, they're pushing the civilians to that limit. And they, I mean, mass murder. Was there any arrests? No. <laughs> Of course there was. There were interesting comments from the politicians. They were like, we've got to work harder so that frustrations don't get to this level. The interesting thing to me is, gee, you talk almost as if you have control over the cartels that uh, extort their peasants. Yeah, yeah. You guys, we can talk them down. Everything's going to be fine. Well, we de-escalate it. We're fine. Yeah, yeah. As if you have a hand in it. Right. Or how else would you have the power to de-escalate? Unbelievable. It's sad. It's sad that there's something like that happens in the world, but it happens all over the world. Um, sadly, there's places everywhere from the Philippines and Africa to uh, Latin America. It just it's a lot of bad out there, a lot of evil, and sadly, no regard for human life. You know, it's all disregard for human life. Right, and the strong are always fleecing the weak. But last thing you want to do is underestimate your adversary, and I think people always do. Your enemy is never as weak and never as stupid as you want them to be right and 
and when you back them in a corner, they're capable of anything. All right, well, listen, we've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have our first guest of the night on, so stay tuned to 1010 The King, our thing. We'll be right back. Hey, have you checked out Our Thing Apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live, featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out OurThingApparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order. Make our thing your thing. Do you own a timeshare? Well, face the facts. You made a mistake. You made a bad purchase. A timeshare is not an investment. It's a money pit that continues forever. If you use your timeshare, that's great. But if you don't and you want to legally get out of your contract, call my friends right now at the Timeshare Exit Hotline. They're an experienced team of lawyers who help good people like you get out of a timeshare contract that they just don't want. Don't throw away your money on maintenance fees. Use it for things you really want. We can help you end your timeshare contract and stop the money drain immediately. If you're ready to move on with your timeshare, call our team right now. Cancel your timeshare now with a free call. 800-852-1736-800-852-1736-800-852-1736. That's 800-852-1736. What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing on 1010 The King. I'd like to welcome my first guest, Diana Charlton. She's from Australia, down under. She's surrounded by kangaroos and aborigines. I'm just kidding. I'm taking it too far. But anyway, she's been a guest on my show before. She's an author with an interesting history, interesting background. And I'm looking to get a little more in depth into her book and her story. Her book is about this kind of dark journey thing that happens in Venice, Italy. And she was just there, touring the lakes, I believe, in Tuscany. But welcome to the show, Diane. Yes, thank you very much, Gunnar and Bill. And hi, Atlanta. Hello, Atlanta. Yeah, shout out to Atlanta. This will be heard, could be anywhere in the world, because it's on Spotify and iHeartRadio, too. So now, welcome to the show. We want to dive into your book a little bit and the, the history behind it. And this is I'm with all authors. I'm always curious to get into the story behind the story. With your particular story, there's like a very kind of dark, I don't want to say evil, but there's a, a some kind of dark power or something that kind of overwhelms. That's the story. And it starts off in Venice, Italy. And I'm just kind of like to get to the origins of that. That's a very unique thing to create. And now you just came from the lakes in Tuscany yourself. What made you create this? Uh, I did go to Venice too, Gunnar. Selfie promos. It was great. So this was my third visit to Venice. I love it. Love it there. We are very jealous, but someday we'll get there and uh, we'll have some fun. And-, and and by the time we get there, I will be fluent in Italian. Do you speak Italian, Diane? Uh, yes, I've learned it three times. Many years ago, we rented a villa and so we had to do our own shopping and cooking. So I'd go to the shops and buy all our veggies and talk about the wine. Oh, my gosh, the wine is brilliant. Absolutely. Now, now is it the white wine that's really good there? Or We drink both. Both, really? Yeah, we drink both. Yeah, it sounds like a good time, man. Yeah, I'd love to tell you and your listeners how this formulated this book. I actually did make the book hoping that it would get picked up as a film because I think the ambience of Venice is just amazing. 
I can see new music being made to go with the film and just the characters. So if anybody's out there listening that wants a new idea, here we go. Just go through how it all started. Both Robert and I are quite infatuated with the history of Italy, full stop, but particularly Venice, the architecture. I've got no idea where this love comes from. It's funny, my father learned Italian as well, and he was Scottish. So uh, it must be in the DNA somewhere. It's a very romantic place with incredible history and incredible food, really interesting people. And just I could see the allure. I mean, I, I would love to go there. Probably on the top of my bucket list of places I'd like to go because it has such an incredible history. There's so many beautiful landmarks, ancient landmarks between a Roman mythology and Greek mythology and all the cathedrals and the temples. And I mean, you could spend a lifetime in Italy trying to see it all. And you wouldn't even get close. You've just read all my notes. <laughs> You've just taken the words out of my mouth. And once again, the interview has come to an end. Well, it's good having you on. We appreciate it. I'm just kidding. Let's get what inspired you. Yeah, the romantic waterways in Venice. My husband and I spent three days there in the magical city where naturally we did what every other tourist does. Got in a gondola. On the gondola. Visit all the ancient buildings, buy Venetian masks, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was absolutely wonderful. But there was one deterrent that spoiled the ambience. There was too many tourists. Oh, yeah. Cray for tourists. They swarm the island like bees. Well, we had come to terms that we were a party to that hive. Mm -hmm. So we just shrugged our shoulders and then joined the tourist trek into iconic church of St. Mark's Basilica. And this is where my book thing started. It was here while we meandered in awe, appreciating all the religious artifacts and statues, our eyes suddenly drawn over to a bulky-bodied man sitting in a very slovenly manner in a high-backed chair. And we both sort of just stared at him. And then our eyes met his. And within a split second in time, his glare upon us screamed hatred. He detested us for violating his sanctuary. Shocked by the Padre's contempt for both of us, my husband and I fled the Basilica chills running down our spine. It was just bizarre, bizarre feeling. Yeah. And with this feeling and experience deeply instilled in our minds upon our flight back home to Australia, and we were talking over the experience together, the story of the vanishing of Venice was born. So that's where it came from. I call it an eclectic thriller. It's a very easy read with a fast-paced flow as the story is set over three days in Venice. It's a gem of a book which allows readers to pick it up anytime they need to escape. If that feeling is desired, you could be on a train, you could be on a plane, a boring bus trip home from work. Keeping the reader spellbound by the mystery of the ancient city while intrigued by the characters who step upon its shores. Yet, like you said, Gunnar, amidst all the beauty of this city, Venice hides a dark side, a brotherhood of priests in St. Mark's Basilica with a vendetta to cleanse the vermin, the tourists, out of Venice by the order of their insane holy padre, who we saw, Father Rodero. So that's where the story starts. That's where it is. You've got some sick 
psycho padre you know <laughs> preacher running this, this just kind of hate-filled cult you know this mm. strange order of priests from the basilica these guys are pretty evil i'm imagining so all it took was for them to run into one dude in venice at a basilica and this guy gave him a dirty look and this woman's mind created an entire plot storyline which is amazing. Not just a dude, he was a priest, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was the father, the holy father. Right. So you would think he would want tourism because tourism brings money. They go to church, they give to the collection basket. Like tourism is the lifeblood of these places. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of other things. This is why I call it an eclectic read, because there's a lot of other issues involved. It's not just him not wanting tourists, it's other things that are involved. Is he evil? He has become evil, yes. Does he have like a demonic power? He's been taken over by evil spirits from the prison because the prison isn't far away and the bridge of size and that's what they say the prisoners used to do is sigh that they knew they would never get out of the prison. Well, the evil spirits of these haunted souls have been able to leak through into I'm telling you too much of the book, really, leaked through into the Basilica and they affect the Padre and they have got him to get rid of the tourists. They want a Venice pure. For Venetians. They want just Venetians there. They want Venice pure again. Yeah. It takes a, quite a creative mind to come up with something like that. You know, it's, I like it. I, like it. I do have a wild imagination. Of course you do. That's what allowed you to write. I was lived in Tampa Bay for 20 years. I think this would really resonate with the locals there. They would love this. <laughs> yeah, get rid of the tour. Yeah, and I had spent 13 years in prison, so I know about demonic spirits in prison. You know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> I've seen it all. Is there a Christian undertone at all? Oh, yes. Yes, there is. So they turn to God. Yes. I don't want to give away the book, but kind of like where you're going with it like you said with that backdrop of venice italy i think this would make a great movie because the backdrop the whole thing and it's kind of a dark story with the christian twist i like all that on that note let's talk about the characters of this story yeah the main character what's he about because there's an array of people on the island that are connected with the story i can't sort of pinpoint just one because it does have a gathering of people and it interacts all the time with different people so there's different characters have different places in the book because then it all ties up at the end is there a main character it really has a lot of touching on to all characters. Is there a romantic interest? Yes, there's certain bits I could not mention on the radio. <laughs> there's a unique section on one of the islands. As an S-E action? <laughs> yeah, so there is a very unique scene on one of the islands between the taxi driver, Michello, who is the romantic young man, Italian yeah. man, and a mother and her daughter. So I'm not going to tell you too much more. Oh, that sounds pretty uh, kinky. It's quite kinky and hot, yes. <laughs> Interactions with love as well, yeah. We talk about there has to be a main character, there has to be a romantic interest, but you know what blockbuster, best-selling movie didn't have any of those things? Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Yeah. There was no major character, there was no romantic interest. This is back when they picked up Anakin. There was Ben Kenobi, you thought maybe he was going to be the lead, but then you thought maybe the kid was going to be the lead, then you thought maybe Princess was going to be the lead. It never happened, there was no romantic but Anakin interest. Anakin was the lead. 
Wasn't Anakin the no, lead? No, he barely was in it. Like at first, first it was Obi-Wan and his mentor, Qui-Gon Jinn. It was Qui-Gon Jinn, then it was Obi-Wan, then it was Anakin. It defies all conventional things that you would have to have in a story, and it worked. It just It's the exception to the rule, is my point. Yeah. Not every story has a, a super powerful uh, love interest. One of my favorite stories of all time is Saving Private Ryan. There's no real strong love interest in that book. I thought Tom Hanks and Matt Damon were going to... You know, get together. Oh, you I'm, that kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Saving oh. Private Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> you had to go there. You had to ruin it. I'm movie. surprised they didn't go there the way Hollywood is. Right? No, I don't know about Matt Damon. I don't know, but Tom Hanks, maybe. I don't know. Oh. So, Diana. <laughs> this show, sorry, Hanks. we took a hard left there. Yeah, you right. took a hard left. Um, all right. Well, because it's just set over three days and it's a fast read and it goes in a fast pace, you're reading about the characters all the time. So there's yeah, shifts of different characters all the time. But the thing is, in Venice, you've got to have at least one or two love interests. Because yeah. Venice is romantic, yes. Yeah, exactly. Venice is romantic. So, yes, there is a love interest. They might not work, but that's not the main thing. And this is why I say it's eclectic. There's so much yeah. in it. I can read you a passage if you like. Please do, please do. Okie doke. Thick clouds hung in the air with the promise of rain. A blazing shade of red glowed behind them, declaring the summer sun was about to set. Alone the gull soared the ominous sky, its interest captured upon an object below as it ran frantically along a narrow laneway. Gasping for air and fueled with fear, the creature stumbled over the cobbled stone pavement. The horrid sound of grunting and whimsical pleading confirmed the human was desperate to escape. But from what? What filled the human's thumping heart with such terror? And what was that? Was that a shifting shadow? Landing onto a corner of guttering attached to St Mark's Basilica, the bird observed the human as he almost fell up the stairs leading into the church. His sanctuary, alas, how unfortunate the door would be locked. Curiously, the gull watched the human's reactions to save himself as the shadow mysteriously appeared. It moved swiftly and with purpose as it stalked its prey. Terrified his entrapment to be at a critical point, a gasp bellowed out the human's lungs as his clenched fists thumped up against the solid door. Banging hard, his beat of desperation echoed into the night. She was a harlot. I paid her, the human screamed, swinging around to find the shadow almost upon him. Let me in, let me in. Mercifully, his begging was answered and the door creaked open. Thank you, oh, thank you, the gull heard the human gratefully dribble as it watched him push his way in through the doorway, his footsteps urgently running into the belly of the basilica. The shadow moved with precision, casually and methodically. Its dark entity floated through the open door, thrusting it shut as it pursued the smell of fear. It inhaled the foul stench of the hunted, where its blend of perfuse sweating and whiskey urine concocted a telltale trail. Ah, there was nowhere to hide. A clap of thunder shattered the sky. A sprinkling of rain began to fall. 
unable to observe any more of the excitement, the gull took flight over to one of the replica horses on the loggia, ready to settle in for the night. Close by, the sound of a sharp crack and a violent snap disturbed the bird as it wavered in and out of light slumber. And then it heard a noise too horrid to dismiss, the struggling gasps of gurgling. Awakened with something icy cold touching its wings, the gull freed itself and flew up onto the horse's head, where instantly it recognised human hands grappling in the darkness in search of help. As pitifully it tried to grab hold of something, anything, to stop the deadly fall. The shadow lingered over him, tormenting him. A flash of lightning zapped across the victim's face, his flesh deathly white with bloodshot eyes bulging out of their sockets. He stared with a questioning look. Aided by the vindictive shadow's elevated force, he fell forward and tumbled over the balcony. The gull watched the body crash to the square, through the fiery explosion of lightning bolts, it saw a thick syrup gush out its cracked skull. Legs broken, arms splayed, the carcass eyes were riveted upwards, cursing the shadow that venomously hovered over Logia. The man's dying thought, how dare that creature smile. I love that it's told through the perspective of the gull. It's bizarre. Yeah, I, I love it. That's pretty cool. So there's a little bit more about the gull in the beginning, but that's the beginning of the book. So, yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And he's flying over Venice and he sees this creature running in the alleyway. So that's different. It's a totally yeah. out of the box, creative yeah. way to start the book. I love it. I love uh -huh. it. I love the perspective of the goal. Like the, it's the goal seeing this world and these things unfold, which you don't hear that very often, you know, through the eyes of something like that. It's pretty cool. And it's eloquent. It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. And it's Hitchcockian with her reading it with her accent and stuff. It's, it's even more beautiful. Yeah, it's it's very Hitchcockian. It makes that personal connection to the story. Now, now I got to read it. You know what I'm saying? Now I got to buy and read it. So I want to hear the rest, where it goes, what happens. It's bought online too. Amazon, etc. So you buy it online, The Vanishing of Venice. So it's on Amazon. Is there anywhere else they can find it? And also you might as well plug where they can find you too on social media or anything like that. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. I've got a website. I love Australians. They're so funny. She's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you can get it at Booktopia, Book Depository, any of the big online places you can order it. But what's the website? It is dianachalton.com. So is it possible for people to get a signed copy or is that not a thing? No, only in Australia, yeah. unfortunately. Unless you want yes. to pay shipping, which will be for Unless you want to post it. I, I do that sometimes. I like ship my book to the guy and he signs it. And I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people like ebooks, my book's on ebook as well. Oh, a lot of people like ebooks. Well, I just finished my third book just before I went on my trip, and that's in the hands of publishers trying to get somebody to pick that up. And now I am going to be free next year. Before you go, tell them where they can find you on social media because some people like to follow on social media, Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that. You can contact me. I have a website, which is dianachalton.com. And I have a Facebook as well. Beautiful. Diana Charlton. When we go to Italy, you're going to get an email from me. And it's going to say, 
I told you we were going, and here we are. Could be next year. Either meet us here and show us where the hot spots are, or at the very least, tell us the cool places to go. I can tell you the cool places to go already. But it's not hard to know. You just get in your car, and wherever you go in Tuscany is stunning. Wherever you go, it's going to be Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, I'm going to let you go. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. All right, see you guys. Ciao. All right, everybody, make sure to check out her books. Bill, I think we have to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll have on our next guest. Stay tuned on 1010 The King. It's our thing. Has someone in your family lost a job recently, and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property, and your tenants aren't paying you? We can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately. Yes, sell your home and get cash all over the phone without dealing with real estate agents or having to waste time showing your home to lukewarm buyers. You don't need to lose your house to foreclosure. If you have equity in your home, we'll buy your home and give you cash within days, all in a simple over-the-phone and virtual process. Call now before your situation gets worse. Sell a home you can't afford or just need anymore and get the cash you need today. Call this number now. 800-950-3143 800-950-3143 800-950-3143 That's 800-950-3143 Paid for by Want to Sell What's up? Welcome back to 1010 The King, our thing. My next guest, Tina Adkins, author from Wyoming. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So we have authors on every week and they're always different. They always have different stories. Now I was just talking to Bill about your books before in the green room. I don't want to compare it to Yellowstone, but it's kind of that feel, that vibe I get from the books. So my wife's really into that stuff, but we're going to get into that in a second. Yeah. I look forward to hearing about these books. You got a series of books, three of them. But before we do that, I always like to get into your story because I think your story is important and it plays a role in the story that you wrote, the reason why you wrote it and how it was inspired and things like that. So tell us a little about yourself, where you're from originally, and were you a housewife? Were you a career woman? You know, did you go to college? And what led you down this path to become a writer? Okay. Born and raised in Wyoming, grew up in Cheyenne. I currently live in Green River for the last 42 years. I was married for 16 years. And no longer to that person, but I was married and my father-in-law and my brother-in-law both are retired highway patrol colonels for Wyoming Highway Patrol. And so for 16 years, well, plus, I guess, as long as I've known them, they have been highway patrol and stories were told in over the years. I just remembered a few things and embellished it. And my brother-in-law helped me write the first one with all the particulars to make it sound for real of how it happens, what you can do, what you can't do, stuff like that. And so, yeah, he was a great consultant and he still is actually. Father-in-law's passed, so. That's a perfect example of what I always tell people is there's a story behind the story. So Tina Atkins doesn't just write a series of books like this out of the blue because it pops in her head. There's a story back there. That's what led to it. That's what inspired. Hearing these stories from these patrolmen, and I'm sure they saw and experienced crazy things and would share stories from uh, from their life or their experiences with you 
all along, you were probably a writer waiting to happen. You had a creative mind. You've always probably liked to read, and you've always been like, I could take stories and grow them stories. Yes, still do. Yes. And Wyoming is a really cool setting, too. It's the lowest populated state in the country. Very low population density. A lot of wildlife. Beautiful place to live, I'm sure. But it's got its right. own kind of culture from crime and the police to everything, really. And so I'm assuming that's what you incorporated that into yeah. your books. Tell us about the first story that you wrote, first book. What inspired it? Tell us where you went with it and tell us about the book. Well, the first one was Hope. And I believe that was on our first broadcast with you was talked about that one. So just short intro to that was the patrolman hero of the book was introduced his little sister was murdered. And so he was obsessed with finding that and how that happened. It took a couple years tracking him down and stuff. But there's a crazy twist. I remember a really crazy twist. Yeah, yeah. The killer goes up into Idaho because I used to live there for seven years. I lived in Boise. And so I used part of that landscape and areas that I was familiar with in and out of around Idaho and back down into Wyoming again, you know, and stuff like that. So A lot of places I've been, I've lived, familiar, you know, I just wanted to put stuff in there to make it crazy, I guess. Realistic. Turned out, yeah, realistic. Yeah, and comfortable. Real places, but of course, fiction story, fiction names. The crazy twist is, if I remember correctly in this book, was like, didn't the main character or the, the cop end up with the murderer? Yeah. An ally for him was a psychic. She still is in my other books, too. And so she's helped tracking down because she could see where he's at or where he's going to be because he was actually stalking her, too. Come to find out, you know, it was just all twisted together in the same story. So, yeah, they tracked him down in a small town in the Idaho-Wyoming border, actually. is There's those small towns off of U.S. 30. And so, yeah, he was just captured, I guess. How did they find him? Well, he was dumb enough to, you know, criminals are all dumb. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy now. <laughs> easy now. <laughs> no offense. Hey, he said it himself last show. Yeah, I'll agree. I was a dumbass. Every criminal is a dumbass. In every book I've ever read... And I read a lot, believe me. So it's always portrayed as how they make dumb mistakes. Let's just say that. They make stupid mistakes. And so, yeah, he made a dumb mistake and tried to kidnap somebody. And, well, actually, the lady that had the psychic. And so she gets away. And so they just backtrack and find him through what she knows. But, yeah, it that was fun. Okay, so you set the stage and this book one and I, again we don't want to give away the whole story yeah. but I know there's more I'm, I don't want to tease it out but you can tell it's cool I love the way her creative minds work the way she's introduced characters yeah. just what you've told me I already like it <laughs> it's a family of three brothers that's why it's called Gannett Brothers the patrolman has two more brothers yeah. initially it was just going to be the standalone book and then I got to thinking well he's got two brothers they got stories to tell so it just went off from there the next book Fury This next synopsis that I sent you was about that one with a stallion breeding operation that he wants to start. He needs a stallion because he wants to start a breeding ranch on his own, branch out from the family. And his neighbor has one called Fury, Black Stallion. She's recently divorced, moved back home, and she doesn't want anything to do with him. And so he has to try and convince her that he needs that stallion. Well, she's not going to let go of it. It's her stallion. But she has problems with an ex-husband coming after her, trying to kill her. 
So he figures if he could save her from him, then she'll be so grateful that they'll work something out with the stallion. So she ends up saving his life, actually. He gets shot. She's got to save him. There's some drama. So there's a heroine and a hero both. Like I was saying with the with the whole Yellowstone thing, I'm a huge fan of Yellowstone. And I'm getting the vibe that the dynamic, I don't know if you've seen Yellowstone, but. Yeah, I have. And so it kind of has that vibe, that feel of certain one particular family that's prominent in the area, whether they're you know, police yeah. or detectives or whatever. And then there's, of course, all the other bad right. guys and people. In car. So you get the feel of that type of story. I mean, like the Yellowstone. Yeah. The second one is more like that. Fury is more like that with horses involved in the horse ranch and the horses that they use to go up the mountain with and, you know, get stuck in a snowstorm and all kinds of stuff happen and rescue. And What's one of your favorite writers? Because, you know, writing a book like this, was there any particular writer that you felt like you kind of liked their style and prose, so you kind of mirrored what you wrote based on that? Oh, God, so many. Well, I started out really a big fan of James Patterson, and I've just evolved into so many more. J.D. Robb, Nora Roberts, Louise Penny. I mean, I could name hundreds. I've read so many series of different authors just trying to get a different feel of how they do it or a different perspective on what's good or what's out there, you know? I just read all the time. I read or I write and I work. That's all I do. Perfect. <laughs> what's one particular book you really like? Oh, gosh. I could never pin down to something that I really like. Louise Penny is a really good. I got into that one a lot because it's in Canada and it's different uh, law enforcement, but everybody is the same deep down when it comes to justice. So that was very interesting. But, you know, like I said, anybody who likes a Yellowstone type of story, that setting, rural, like Wyoming, Montana, that, that old school vibe of, I won't say country folk, but just kind of an old school neighborhood or town, everybody knows everybody. Yes, yes. It's a definitely a small town based around Elk Mountain, Wyoming, which is between Rollins and Laramie. I don't know if you know the towns are not, but all the towns are along I-80. So Elk Mountain is a very small, very small community. And, you know, no local sheriff. The closest would be Carbon County is Rollins. So it's ranchers. It's a lot of ranchers. Yeah, this is not our hood. Yeah, this is not the hood. <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming that the main character is kind of this charming and charismatic guy, probably flawed in a certain way, but he's probably good looking and charming. He got his own demons he's battling, you know, and the right. girl's probably attractive, maybe a, a widower or so. I'm just trying to think. I don't want to give away the story. Yeah, yeah. it's ex husband that's trying to kill her. So, ah, yeah, there's he. And he's going to come in as the hero. And right. she ends up saving his day. So and this is what I was saying. Tina seems like she doesn't stick to the cookie cutter kind of thing. Because you're like, oh, Wyoming, small town. I get what's happening. But she's very good at shifting things to the left. Right. And there's a lot of twists and turns. Keep it guessing. That's the key to creating a good story and a good read. That it's not cookie cutter. It's not your typical run-of-the-mill story. You want twists and turns in it. You want it to be action-packed. Of course, you want a bit of a romantic story in there. That's a bit of erotica, yeah. Yep. So then you polish off this book, and then you say, all right, well, now I've established i got a series here. So you wrote a third book. Yep, there's another brother. Yeah, the baby brother. So this one goes from brother to brother to brother. Yeah, there's three brothers. So it's their family dynamics on all of them. All brothers are mentioned in each one. 
The highway patrolman is the law enforcement, so he's needed in each one because bad things are happening still. And so he has friends in the FBI back in Cheyenne at the field office in Cheyenne, so they use those guys too. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, each brother. One, like the second one, is more about the tribulations of Zach, you know, but the highway patrolman is still needed because, you know, he's got to find him. He's missing on a mountain with a snowstorm. He's got to find his brother. Stuff happens. So it's a character that people know. That's the nice part about a book like that or a series. You introduce this character in book one, and even though book two may be about his brother, but, you know, his brother... Is still he's, in the picture. Yeah, he's still there. He's, he's a character. Yeah. And people are familiar with that character because they've read right. book one. Or they're familiar with the new brother because they read book one. So that's how it goes. Yeah, each one, they have their own story for each one. They each have something to say. Some story happens. Yeah, I like the way your mind works. It's not typical. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, that's cool. So what's the main conflict of book three? What's the name of it? What is volume three about? Book three is Betrayed, right? Yeah, Betrayed. So that one, the little brother hooks up with this high school sweetheart, and she has a lot of bad history with her family. Like bad, bad things have happened to her. And so that's a history that comes out. I don't want to give all that one away, but at some point they're both kidnapped. So they have to get out of that. Stuff like that happens different. What does this brother do? Is he a patrolman? or He's still living at home. He's on the ranch. He's still paying and ranching and stuff like that. Yeah, I love it. I love Yellowstone, man. So anything like this is, I'm into it. So you got this ranch, these family dynamics, all this drama happening, this little tiny small town environment where everybody knows everybody. Everybody grew up with everybody. You know, yep, just exactly. all kinds of drama popping off. That's a cool vibe. I like that. You know, it's, was it set in modern times or was it set in the past? The late 90s, from the first book through the third one, 96 through 2000, right around there. You know, before everybody had a cell phone in their pocket and stuff like that. You had to rely on other ways of emergency contact, like a CB radio and stuff like that. It's smart that you pick that particular time and era because, like you said, right. not everybody's got a cell phone. If you want to talk to somebody, you call them or you went over to their house. If you wanted to see someone, you went and saw them. You weren't texting them or hitting them on Facebook. Drive over to their house on a horse. Yeah, you're right. We all live with that, but you put it in Wyoming, it's 10 times more disconnected. In the mountains. Crazy. By the way, what is the main conflict again of that one without giving it away? Well, like I said, his girlfriend, which becomes his fiance, she has bad family history and her mom was dying and she confessed some stuff to her before she died and just some bad stuff that her dad did. That's why it's called betrayed because her dad was he was a bad guy. Sicko. Really bad. Yeah. She was abused and stuff like that. And But it gets resolved at some point. We won't get into the resolution, but I'm sure it's got a good ending. And so now, did you leave it open to continue the series for book four? I do have two more written. I just haven't been able to publish them, which are related. Yeah. So the next three, there's another trilogy, but instead of the guys, it's the wives' point of view on what happens next. Other stuff happens, keeps happening. Bill, this is the type of thing that would make such a great television series. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, season one, (laughs) season two, season three. Yeah, create this universe, just like they did with Yellowstone. Look at how huge Yellowstone was. And they took a story like this and... 
developed it into a TV series. Okay. People loved it. That's why I think people will love your books. And you know what I love about it from just a pragmatic businessman point of view? You know how you get to the fourth season and the main character's been in it three seasons? He's like, well, you're going to have to pony up if you want me to do another season. I'm like, hey, guess what? You're not even the main character in this one. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, beat it. Where's your what are you, crazy? You're like a background character in this. Yeah, man. yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. My next idea to go from after the wives' perspective, I kind of want to do the same thing that Yellowstone did with previous generations. Yeah, prequel. I want to do 1900s Wyoming. Yeah, I oh, love man. that stuff. That's jackpot. Same family, but it That's goes jackpot. back. Yeah, even 1800s. I'm into that. I love westerns. Yeah, take it back into Wyoming. Same family, yeah. hundred years earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. The railroad. Fifty years earlier, and there's all kinds of drama that can happen. Power struggles, the ranches, even. Indians, the surviving back then. Yeah, just getting to the land would be a story, yeah. And it's sort of introduced it a little bit at the end of book five. There's a child that comes to Amy. She's the psychic, right? Amy is used again as a psychic. So a child comes to her and talks to her about a lost dog, but she's dressed in old time clothing. She's not from this century. What? Is time travel involved? Yeah, yeah. Time, well, sort of a time traveler. When she comes back again to talk to her, she's an old lady. So, is she a ghost or a time traveler? It's kind of weird. I don't know if I'm going to that or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's cool. You don't do it, even if it is a time traveler. Like you said, she's a psychic, some medium. Again, yeah, completely not what you expect. <laughs> so, maybe she has a power to bounce back and forth. But even if you didn't do it that way, even if you did started like 1883, like they did with uh -huh. Yellowstone, just take it back in time. We recognize the name, that family name from your guys. Mm -hmm. And there could be all kinds of drama that led up to this 100 years later. There's a lot of surviving out there. There's family politics. There's local government politics. Like you said, the railroad, gold rush, know, right? Indians, all of it. I mean, yeah. there's a lot there to work with. There's a lot. What does your family think about you writing when you decided to start writing? Well, actually, I didn't tell anybody until I was done with the first one. Nobody knew anything about it. How did they not know? I lived by myself. I didn't tell anybody until I self-published it. And then they're like, what? <laughs> what did you do? You didn't have told me. Those three were self-published. That's why I'm still trying to self-promote them. Yeah. But I've been working on it for a year now to try and get these next two that are done to be picked up. But maybe there's a possibility out there. They sound fascinating. And I, I feel like this show is perfect for people who want to write because we got so many different creative personalities. But this show in particular, this this interview, I think, is really good. If somebody wants to like, am I good enough? You know, well, look at how this lady thinks. Are, are you that good? Don't think you're not. Just keep on doing it. Yeah. Right. But I think you've set the bar a little yeah. higher. Like, hey, here's how your mind has to work if you want to be competitive, <laughs> you know, if you want to write a good story. <laughs> There's two things at play there. A, she's naturally a creator, a gifted creator, which is very important if you're going to be successful as an author. But B, I can tell from the way her mind is thinking that she's read many, 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 many books. And so when she sat down the right, she's like, I don't want my books to be like all those other books. I want my book to stand out and be different. So how do I do that? And then that's what you did. You created this world, this universe, these characters. So that's pretty cool. I think you should keep going. Do not give up on your marketing. Don't give up. You know, just keep writing. And uh, I know your family must have been like, what the hell? He wrote a book. It's published. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, I had one little bit that I told my niece about before anybody else. She wanted to read it before I sent it off. 
She helped me add a few things and make it more detailed and colorful, you might say. She was a great help. She has since passed away, but she's helped a lot. But yeah, it's been a journey, you could say. Well, you'll always be able to say, maybe in an introduction of your book or a dedication to her yeah. or one to her, that she was yep. instrumental and helpful in, in the creation of this book. I, I thank exactly. a lot of people in the front of my book that, that were there and helped me out. And, and I will do that again in my next book. And also, Bill, shouldn't we have her read something? I have a paragraph here I'd like to read. Nice. This is from the third one, Betrayed. It's like halfway through, so it's not giving anything away. But Yeah, yeah. So Matt is a patrolman. Then we've already established that. Zach is the other brother. Well, this brother's Drew. Drew and Marilyn get together, the youngest of the family. So their parents' names are John and Donna. So Donna actually kept John alert by talking about anything and everything. Things she saw on the way, things she heard about from years ago, trying to remember the gossip from that time. Wasn't it too bad that Liz passed away? Liz was Marilyn's mother. She's the one that had problems. So as to be able to fill in the gaps of information they needed, she wondered if she had managed to tell Marilyn anything during her last days. Probably not since she hadn't mentioned anything useful to Drew. So that left them all to unravel the mystery. John preferred the nonstop talking, though, rather than the silence of her own world that Donna fell into after Hope had never came home. This time, we're both not going to let that happen, he thought. No matter what anyone tells us, we're going to be on every inch of this investigation. Come hell or high water, we will find out where Drew and Marilyn are and bring them home safe and sound. Nice. So right now, they're talking the mother down. She's worried where they at. Of course. And yeah. so they're over there saying, hey, listen, bringing up all this old stuff, right? Yeah, because she has memories from when her daughter went missing. That was the first book where she was killed. That's why I called that one first book was Hope, because that was the girl that was murdered. Her name was Hope. Uh-huh. Yeah, she has bad memories of not having a family member come home safely. They found her, but she was a body at that time. So they're trying to talk her down. They're bringing up old memories and saying, you know, some of the old gossip, whatever, just to kind of make her feel better and placated. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. They're like, relax, there's always hope. Well, not your hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not this time. Well, Tina, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so uh, much. Tell them where they can find your books and the names of them and where they can find you? Well, right now, Amazon.com. They're both paperback or e-readers. Kindle also. I have a retail outlet in my hometown here. It's called Red White Buffalo, which they do international and nationwide sales through them, too. They ship them out to wherever. It doesn't matter. So if you want an autographed book, that's where they're at. They're online. The store is Red White Buffalo. It's all one word. Just look up Tina Louise Atkins, you guys. And if you want to sign a copy of her book, visit that website. If not, go to Amazon. You can download it on Kindle or buy the paperback book. Yep. Well, Tina, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you. Enjoy talking to you. I'm into your stories. I think they're going to be cool. I hope they make a TV series out of them. And keep <laughs> writing. Awesome. That's how I leave you, you on that note. Keep writing. Well, that's another one in the books. Our thing, Attend 10 to King. Make sure you stay tuned next Friday for another episode. Until then, have a safe week. Be good. Stay safe. God bless. We out.